0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Get ready for some Rockets conversation with my guest today from Red Nation Hoops, Salman Ali. Great to have you, Salman. You guys know him from his podcast. Of course, it's been on for years on Twitter at Salman Ali NBA. And Salman, I've always been amazed with your just fantastic array of guests. Just heard the one with... uh, Rafael Barlow and and that was fantastic.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, Rafael is great. I, I really enjoy having him on.
1: Yeah, I'm a regular listener to hit to his stuff, and you know, he's always got some nice objective opinions about Rockets basketball, which is sometimes it feels like it's a little bit hard, Solomon, to find <laughs> the objective opinions around the national NBA uh, conversation.
0: Yeah, the Rockets get people charged up one way or the other. People seem to have a tough time being neutral on them. Yeah. I, I feel like
1: that because the rocket fan base is such a big fan base on social media,
0: that but it, it wasn't always that way though. This is a fairly new phenomenon. Like I've noticed that like when I first got into this space, whatever, nine or 10 years ago, rockets, Twitter was like 10 people. Right. It was like, and it was like the people you would think, right? Like Jonathan Fagan, uh clutch fans, You know, very small amount of people, Mark Berman, I guess you could count, right? And then slowly over time, it's built up to this juggernaut, and now people just despise them. So it's it's, it's truly been amazing to watch. Yeah, I guess my point is, I think because
1: there is such a big social media presence with the Rockets, because they're popular, of course, in China and Turkey now, and they bring a lot of that fan base, I feel like the national guys are trolling. That that fan base, and I think a lot of that stuff, you know, how do you get people to quote, tweet, or quote, actually, and, and put links up to what you're doing is you do what Bill Simmons does. It just seems like, oh, just accidentally a couple minutes each show, he just takes a shot at the Rockets, and everybody, all of a sudden, they're putting up Bill Simmons links, and I, I think the Rockets fans need to stop for the for the troll job that some of these guys are doing.
0: It's been kind of bizarre to watch uh, the Rockets get so much attention uh, during a time... Of rebuilding that's abnormal like rebuilding teams generally don't get airtime on big national platforms on any sort of regular basis this is this is a very interesting thing to watch Uh, i don't know why that's happening it seems like there are a lot of people that believe the rockets are a a cesspool of some sorts I, i i don't necessarily sure i'm not necessarily sure if i buy that but it's been interesting to watch for sure. I, 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 do, I, I don't know if I can remember a team off the top. Maybe the, the, the trust the process Sixers, you know, that had a lot of airtime for a rebuilding NBA team. Other than that, we're rebuilding teams, nobody everybody just ignores them until it's time. Well, the Rockets weren't that popular amongst the national
1: guys because everybody hated the way James Harden played basketball. Um, James Harden has never been a popular guy amongst the national people. Then James Harden leaves. And everybody's like, well, we hate Tillman because he's a national figure that, you know, he comes on shows and says outlandish stuff. So we don't necessarily like him. And then the Rockets go into kind of this process-like rebuild, which people don't always like process-like rebuild. So I I think there's a lot of things into play, but I still feel like it's the trolling a little bit that's uh, (laughs) what you're trying to do at times. So I don't know.
0: Maybe. I mean, like, listen, it it definitely does generate clicks from the Rockets fans, right? They're definitely going to click on it, yeah.
1: Something that's been on my mind now that Summer League is over is this Rockets rotation, and I want to get into that with you shortly. But first, I made a bold proclamation last week, Salman, and I want to get your reaction. Among the guys on this roster, all the young guys, I believe Amen Thompson, not Jalen, not Shangu, not Jabari, will be the best Rocket player
0: in the next five years. Do you agree? That's been out there in the ether, uh definitely in hushed tones, because it is definitely the, the like I wouldn't say like the least popular opinion. It's just people are gonna go to Jalen, people are gonna go to Shangun, people are gonna go to Jabari first. Uh but I I understand the argument. I I, I I mean, physically, he's a freak, right? Probably already one of the best athletes in the NBA, just wait, just in the way he uh his first step is just as quick as Jalen's. He is great at contorting his body uh high level finisher like really really high level finisher and the the passing is instinctual which i always think for like offensive superstars is like kind of a necessity not 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 a necessity but it is it's it's much harder to learn that and when you have it instinctually it's much easier to build like a a, a an offense around you uh if you just have that natural passing feel like Harden had it LeBron had it Magic had it. Luca has it, right? Like Giannis has it. Like when you have that feel right away coming into the NBA, um, and you have that ability to get to the basket whenever the hell you want, it's always encouraging. It's always a good start. I, I don't think I don't think that's a hot take. No, I, I I think that's a perfectly respectable opinion.
1: Yeah. How do you build the best Rockets player before this year? You take Jalen Green's athleticism, and then you take Shingun above the neck, and that's what he looks like. And I feel like. Elite skills, elite things make great players in the NBA. And he's got two potential elite skills, passing and defense. And I don't know what other Rocket that I'm really convinced have two elite skills, whether it's rebounding or scoring or whatever you want to say.
0: I would think that... Shangoon and, and Jalen do have to do have some elite skills. Like I, I think the ability to get to the basket whenever you want, I think, is an elite skill, right? Two,
1: two. I'm saying, give me more than one on on uh, one of the Rockets players that you think okay, that's got the potential to be two. Shangoon's passing for sure,
0: his scoring uh, ability too. I, I, I mean, he yeah. he he is definitely someone who can score like points per possession. I mean, right now he is the points per possession leader on the roster. Like he's just. Crazy efficient at scoring the basketball. I guess the free throw line, so that helps his efficiency too. I listen. I I I, I I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think he he does have a hurdle with the shooting, right? Like that is something he's gonna have to get over. Shingun has a hurdle with the defense. Uh, Jalen has a hurdle with the defense and the passing, right? Like everybody's gonna have their hurdles, but the shooting with Amen, it's listen. He's starting from a really rough base point, and he's 20 years old. And that's that's important to note coming in, because it's much better if you're like a, a project shooter at 18 coming into the NBA versus when you're 20, you're coming into the NBA. You have just have less runtime uh, to get to where you need to be respectful, respectable. So listen, it's going to be t- interesting to see what he can develop when teams eventually wall off the paint and when teams close out shooters, you know, what, what's his counter going to be? Is that going to be a floater? Is that going to be a mid range jumper? Can he eventually develop a three point shot? I don't know, but that's why we will pay attention to the rebuild. That's why you and I do this, right? We, we want to know, we're trying to guess, we're trying to figure out how, you know, these guys develop these unique skills.
1: Yeah. And of course I, I just have such
0: confidence that this guy's
1: going to put the work in and, and shooting more than any other skill is just, is, it's putting that work in over and over and over again. And it reminds me, I've said this before of, of Jason Kidd. When he came into the NBA, it was bad. It looked ugly. It looked real ugly. Probably uglier than what I see from in shot, to be honest with you. I don't know if you remember Jason Kidd when he first started, yeah. but it was bad. And, and, and he put the work in. And over time, he made it happen. He became a good shooter.
0: But it is an anomalous story, right? Like Jason Kidd is like the story that people point to. It's like, Jason Kidd and Kawhi right like those are the two stories that people point to in terms of like shooting was a weakness became an unbelievable strength Jason Kidd's one of the top I think he still holds the top 10 three-point of uh, three-pointers made I'm not sure it's a lot of players have been passing him up you know I, I know Harden passed him up recently I know Steph passed him up but he 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 was at one point among the top 10 in three-pointers made Kawhi Leonard is an elite three-point shooter so like getting from that to that, it's, it's definitely something that's hard, but I, it's, it's, it's easier when you're not having to be that guy right away, when you can kind of develop these skills in the background, right? When, when Kawhi Leonard wasn't the focal point for the Spurs offense for like the first six years of his career, he had the freedom to kind of play around in the background and have the development staff work with him and the Spurs were willing to wait because it's not like this guy was going to be a heavy usage guy. If Ahmed's going to come in first year in the NBA, be a bench guy, come off the bench for Fred Van Vliet, uh be kind of a secondary creator as opposed to a primary creator. Maybe he creates off the second unit primary sometimes. But if if that's going to be the plan with him, maybe it's easier to develop those skills. I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough. It's even going to be tougher for his brother, Assur, because he's gonna be like the tertiary ball handler, like like there are a lot of ball handlers in Detroit that he's gonna be fighting with. It's, these twins are have uh, kind of an interesting roadmap uh, to relevance, but I think they're I think gonna be pretty good NBA players. I, I I really like them a lot. Yeah, it's
1: easier to not be a good shooter when you got the ball in your, your hands if you're depending on everybody else to to make shots once they get open and you deliver them the ball. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. What did you learn about Cam Whitmore? in summer league. I mean, nothing Solomon surprised me about cam from the neck down, the athleticism, all that sort of stuff. What caught your eye
0: from the neck up when you watched him? His defensive instincts. Like he, he is a high level. I mean, the motor is ridiculous, right? And that helps. And the, the athletic tools that that help, but really his feel, he has a knack for getting the ball. And that is something you can't teach. That is just something that you have. He has a knack for blocking, right? Like, Again, not something you can teach. That's just something that you have or you don't. When you talk to analytics people, you—I mean, I'm sure you've heard the term stocks before, right? Like blocks and stock blocks and steals combined stocks. That's sure. a that's a legitimate stat that you know analytics people used to use to project good defenders in the NBA. And with Whitmore, that is something that is go, that I mean, he he had stocks up and down summer league. He he had that one game with eight steals. I think that to me, especially because of you know we talk about a rough roadmap for maybe Amen Thompson being kind of in the background cam is going to be even somehow more in the background uh probably not going to play at all his first season the fact that he has these ancillary skills you know these instincts for getting the basketball for defending for being a high high level motor guy that's encouraging because that means there's a roadmap for him being kind of a complementary player at least at first Remember when Jalen Green came
1: in to the NBA and the Rockets, how do you compare the two of them and their ability to see what's going on as they're driving to the basket and find the guy? Because that's the complaint right now is they get tunnel vision. They don't see where to go with the basketball once they make that drive and guys start to converge on him. How do you compare
0: him him and Jalen from that first year a couple of years ago? So Jalen was a little bit ahead of where he's at right now. To his credit, uh, Jalen was very was hyper aware uh, of his playmaking criticisms. Right, like he spoke about it in in interviews. And I saw the the jump from him, the G League ignite to the rookie season to the second year, like him just getting better as a passer. Every year, him getting, you know, starting with the basic dump off reads his rookie season to kick out passes his second year right? And now he's starting to make even more difficult reads. So we'll see what he he has in store. His his, uh, third season in the NBA, he still has a lot of room to grow as a pick-and-roll ball handler. But I think he was a little bit ahead of where Whitmore was. Whitmore was just not... I mean, he got Jalen Brown a lot as a comparison. And and there's a reason for that. Uh, He is not someone who was a very... The best way to put it, when he decided he was going to try and score... There was there was no changing that. Like there's no changing. He's gonna go and try and score. When Jalen goes and tries to score, if he sees something develop in the background, he has the he has the feel to go and at least dump off pass, at least kick out pass. Right, like those are good rudimentary passes to start with. I I don't ever see Cam getting to a point where he can average six or seven assists per game. I don't see that path for him. I can I see him get to a point where he's averaging four, maybe five, maybe. Uh, I can see that with Jalen Green. I can see six, seven, you know, seven and a half assists per game. I can see that in his future. I'm not sure if I can see that with Cam. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a bad player. Cam has things that Jalen doesn't have. The physical tools, the defensive ability. I think he has, um, especially off-ball awareness, ahead of where Jalen is. So, like, there's stuff that Jalen does not have that Cam doesn't have, that Cam has in spades. So, like... They're different players, but, yeah, you're right in that they that passing is not necessarily a strength of theirs. I think Jalen's still just a touch ahead.
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell with Summer League guys playing defense on you. And, you know, the, the defense, I thought, in Summer League was much better than it typically is th- this year. But uh, you mentioned Jalen Brown comparison, Jalen Green comparison. Uh, it it appears, though, Cam's got a better handle than those two guys. I mean, it's not a high bar with Jalen uh Brown, but uh Jalen Green and him. I I feel like he's got a little bit better handle coming into the league.
0: Oh yeah, no, yeah. That that's certainly like Jalen Brown was someone who defied a lot of projection models. Right. Like he he was very much an age pick, right? Ainge bet on this kid. And it worked out. It was risky in the moment. I'm not sure people remember at that time. Like he was not like the consensus pick where the Celtics took him. It turned out to be right. With Cam... I mean, the Rockets took him at 20, right? Like, they 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 could have taken him 10 spots up and it still would have been a home run selection. There are different expectations here that we have to weigh, in, weigh, weigh here and different roles. Jalen had, you know, he came into a Celtics roster where he was starting his second season in the NBA. He was sixth man, seventh man his first year, starting second year, right? I don't know if that's going to happen with... Cam Whitmore. I think Cam Whitmore may not play his first season. Second season might be like an eighth guy. Might be a ninth guy. Depends on how the roster shakes up the trade deadline, the off season. We'll see what Rafael Stone decides to do. But that that's he's going to be more of a project, um, and that's fine because he's 19 years old.
1: You talk about his minutes, and that's the next thing that I wanted to talk about in general is how do you see this rotation playing out for the Rockets? And let's assume the starters unless you think differently, Van Vliet, Jalen, Brooks, Jabari, and Shangoon, What do you do if you're Ime Udoka? What's What's going to happen with these guys off the bench? Who plays? Who comes off the bench at what position? Maybe how many minutes do you see them getting? Like, how do you see this playing out?
0: If we're assuming meritocracy, right, which is best players get the most minutes, right? I think that you're pretty close to what the starting lineup is going to be. I, 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 we'll see, we'll see what eventually happens in training camp to see if anybody actually outshines those five starters. But I, I think that's a reasonable bet on the starting lineup. Sixth, seventh man, I would say K- KPJ is an obvious one. Uh, first guy off the bench candidate. That's 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 a, uh, that's where I would have my money. I think Tari Eason uh, is a good bet to be one of the you know, first seven guys in the in the lineup every night. I would also put Jay Sean Tate as a candidate. That's going to, you know, I mean, this guy didn't play last year, but I mean, he was a really, his rookie year, I don't think people remember how good he was defensively. I thought he was an all-NBA level defender right away coming into the NBA. The the reason he wasn't an all-NBA defender is because he was on the Houston Rockets, who were like one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Uh, it, it was hard to justify giving him as many votes as maybe he warranted. He's, he was awesome. So, and I think Ime Udoka is really going to latch onto him. After that, uh, backing up Shangoon, I think you're going to be talking about probably Londale. Maybe, yeah. maybe he goes green. Uh, Udoka, I, I I suspect it's going to be Londale, though, and that's probably going to be your eight. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see like who sneaks in there as your ninth and tenth guys. Okay, let me make sure I got this right. Uh,
1: your 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 three guys coming off the bench are Tari, KPJ, and Londale.
0: Is that right, Tari? Uh, K. P. J. and Tate uh, in the, in Longdale. I would say that those those are your nine, right? Okay. And then the tenth guy, I think, I mean, if he does play a ten man rotation, I think you're probably talking. I I would say Amen. I would say Amen because they do need a, another guard uh, as probably the ninth or eighth guy.
1: This is where I'm gonna maybe go out a little bit differently than I think what a lot of Rockets fans have in their head, and I'm gonna try to figure this out just because I. I I believe they want Kevin Porter off the ball. They want to totally – I don't think this is going to be like a three-guard, Van Vliet, Jalen, and then KPJ coming off the bench playing, you know, 25, 30 minutes a game or something like that. You think he's a wing? What I think is he plays a 2-3. And this is where I'm going to go differently than I think where a lot of Rockets fans might be thinking at this point. I think KPJ plays the 2-3. He backs up Jalen and Dylan Brooks at the 2-3 for the most part. Uh, Definitely the two. I think Ahmed Thompson is going to be your primary point guard. They're going to want to have Van Vliet or Ahmed Thompson in the game at all times. I I can't see after what I saw from Ahmed Thompson that you don't want to at least give him 15 to 20 minutes. You do not want to play overplay, I should say, Fred Van Vliet because he's gotten a ton of minutes the last few years. He's a smaller guy. The wear and tear, I think, is not a good idea for him. I don't think they brought Van Vliet to play 36 minutes and wear him out. I think they brought him to be this mentor to Jalen Green and Amen Thompson. So him playing 28 to 30 minutes a game is perfectly okay. And then Amen taking those point guard minutes coming off the bench. And, and here's where I think a lot of fans, you're in this like old traditional basketball head. We saw Steven Silas. He felt like it was mandatory that this was 1985 and I have to have a real center out on the floor at all times. They are going to move to when Shane Goon is out of the game. Jabari, I feel like for the most part, because I've heard Udoka say, they mentioned him four or five, four or five, either him or Ben Sullivan. One of those two guys mentioned Jabari four or five. If they're thinking four or five with Jabari, that means he's going to be playing most of the center position, not Jock Londale. And I believe, that Tari Eason is going to be in a three-man big rotation. So he's going to be the four whenever J- Jabari or Shane Goon's with with them out there. And, and that's what I believe is going to be the main one, unless there's a particular matchup where Jock Londale makes sense. I think he's there for matchups. Where does Tate put into this? For me, I, I I would say Tate might get some spot minutes here and there, maybe in that three, four, five role. You know, in that situation, somebody gets in foul trouble, but I don't think that it's necessity that Tate needs to play a few minutes every night. And I think just Tate's lack of shooting on a team that lacks shooting to begin with is real tough to put out there. You're, you're going to have Shangoon and Ahmed Thompson, who you, you, you know aren't going to aren't going to shoot that well, um, and Dylan Brooks for all his faults. If you can just limit him from taking the bad shots. It, it, he's not terrible out there. He's not as bad as I think a lot of people might perceive him. It's just the sh- type of shots that he takes. Van Vliet will start, instead of taking these, you know, shots in the third, first three or four seconds, these long shots. or I thought, there, you know, from looking at his shot selection with Toronto, it seemed like he was taking shots that he didn't need to t- He's a really good shooter if you t- have him taking the right shots. And I think Udoka is going to tell him, like, we don't want you taking these type of shots. And that's the way I think it's going to set up but you still cannot have, you know, Sean Tate out there with Shane Goon or with, with, I, mean, I just think that's a bad, that's a bad formula right there.
0: See, I actually think there is, there is an avenue for him to play real minutes, especially if you're talking about Londale or Jabari playing the backup five, potentially either of those guys can stretch the floor for you. And then you have uh, Dylan Brooks, who's a good catch and shoot guy. You can keep Van Vliet on the floor for second units and you can find minutes for, for Tate over there. Um, and then, you can put in KPJ at your two and you, and you have a good lineup with shooting and, and Tate's your only, your only non-shooter there. You can find lineups for him. And I, I have a, I have a hard time believing after E-May sees him in training camp that Tate won't get real minutes this year. Like I think e is going to fall in love with this dude. And I, I like him. Honestly, I like the shooting. Yes. It's, it's not great, but it doesn't bother me like, like I'm not at the point where I'm like cutting him out of my regular season rotation. Like I, I, he's still a good enough defender to keep in games where I, I feel compelled to play him 15 minutes a night. Like I feel pretty happy with that. And if if Houston does not see a pathway for him long term, it benefits them to, sh- to showcase uh, Tate. So you know, eventually at the trade deadline, maybe a team like Phoenix decides, hey, we have all these trade exceptions. And nobody to, to get, and nobody to spend them on. Maybe you throw in Tate, get a couple second rounders back from Phoenix, because uh, they have like six second rounders, um, and and you can you can fit them into that one of those trade exceptions. So that's like a nice way to kind of like ease them into the season, just like play them fifteen minutes a game. And I don't think everybody has to play like twenty minutes. You know, like I, I think you look at at the backup point guard. I think you and I are in a kind of an agreement. I think Amin's probably going to get the spot. Right. And I think you and I are kind of in agreement that they're going to play KPJ as like a backup two. Right. And at the three, that's where things get interesting because really I think Tari is probably the best option at both three and four. Right. But because you have Tate probably play him at the three. Right. And then you, and then at backup center, you can get weird. Right. Cause you, you have three centers there in Jabari, Jabari, in um, excuse me, Lawndale and Green, and you can get weird. And I think that's probably enough to get you through the regular season. And I think there's going to be trades that you know may, may may open up more more minutes for other guys or you know more minutes for your top end guys overall. And I think that should be enough to keep the minutes off Tate, uh, to keep the minutes off Van Vliet as you talked about because he has played a lot of minutes and not enough to keep the minutes off of uh, of Jabari, uh, keep the minutes off the off your top end guys. And have a pretty healthy rotation, and I think there's going to be shooting most of the most uh, in most lineups. I don't think it's, the, it's going to be that much of a liability. Can Ime Udoka get
1: Sean Tate not to foul five times in the first fifteen or twenty? Because I know everybody says this guy's a great defensive player, but great defensive players don't get five fouls in twenty minutes every time they step out on the. And this has been going on for a long time. He's twenty. He's in his late twenties. This isn't a twenty-year-old that's doing this stuff.
0: Well, he's only going to, he's only going to be playing 15 minutes a game. So who cares? <laughs> right? Like, it's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not going to be a, as much of an issue if he's a bench player. Uh, that's what oh, bench players, the bench players are inherently flawed, right? There is something holding them back from being a starting player. That's why they're a bench player. Uh, with Tate, it's, it's the fouls and it's the shooting. And he's still good enough at the one thing to keep him viable and passing. He's, I think he's a pretty good pastor actually, uh, He's still viable at, the, at those two things to keep him playing. And I think he's a, he's a pretty vocal, you know, guy. I think that's he's going to help the the rest of the young guys be in positions defensively. So I, I, I think, I, I don't know, I, I I see a real role for Tate. And I, I, I again, he is coach's catnip. Like, Steven Silas, first year in the NBA, starts him, right? With, with Harden still on the roster, with John Wall still there, um, starts him. Right. That was a shock to everybody. Like he started a young player right off the bat. And it was because the guy does stuff that coaches really like.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not saying that you're worried about him fouling out. It's just, to me, it's bad defense. If you're picking up fouls that quickly. And and that's my thing with Tate is, you know, when everybody says this guy's a really great defensive player, I think he, I think it's a little bit of a try hard guy at times out there because try hard guys get in foul trouble real quickly because they're 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 not thinking the game correctly, you know. If you're fouling that often, that's an issue. But here's the other thing with Tate, and think about this, Salmond, and I'm sure you have. Is he going to be around past February? I I still think we are not sure that he's going to be there even when the season starts. He might be uh, as, as part of a uh, little connection to some of these trades that are out there the uh, dame trade or the Harden trade he might the rockets might get involved somehow because the rockets have guys that could kind of fit into that with with Lawndale and Tate you take a couple of guys like that and maybe you send them out and maybe you get something back as far as like one asset so you're you're not you know instead of having two like so-so assets maybe you have a just one much better rotation player, whether it's somebody at the four or five or whatever. That's what I'm kind of thinking is like, they could still, it's not over with, especially it feels like there was always something more in mind. You know, I I just have a hard time. Rafael Stone just like, here, what we're going to do is clear all this out. And we're going to give a bunch of money to Jeff Green and Jock lawndale and give away second round picks and all our first rounders. And, you know, he, there isn't something at least, they, they're thinking that that could connect into something else still down the road.
0: Well, the Rockets love that contract. I love that contract that Tate has. I mean, it's a, it's he gave Houston a pretty sweetheart deal. Maybe the market wasn't as great, and, and that's probably why um, he was able to uh, – he didn't get a big money offer and restricted free agency. But I, I I think that's a that's a contract that Houston wants to keep on the books, at least until February, so they can see what's out there. I mean, because it really is easy to trade. Uh, and it's sizable, so you can really get something of significance back. If if you're, you know, I talked about that trade exception thing we talked uh, earlier in the podcast. But you don't you you have to trade him in a trade exception. You can get something back, maybe an expiring or something. Uh, if it's not a real player, but he he is, um, I I I think I think Tate's the kind of guy that, yeah, he has his faults, right? He's not a perfect player, but he is so smart. And that's that's why he's a good passer. That's why that's partly why he's a good defender. Uh, and I think I he's a really good connective piece. And I think a lot of teams are going to be sniffing around uh, to see if he's going to be able to be had for pretty cheap. And that's why Houston has to showcase him. If, if, if they do indeed move him, at least early on, he's going to be in the rotation because you can't move guys who are just not playing unless you're planning on dumping them. Right. Like they did with Ty Ty Washington. If they're, if they're playing on getting something of value, they're going to have to play them. Yeah, it's interesting
1: because I just feel like between the Tate contract, the Lawndale contract, and the Jeff Green contract, you can say, well, hey, these are kind of cool contracts for the Rockets, but probably even better contracts to trade for other teams because there's outs for those teams. There's easy outs. They're not expensive guys, and they're guys that can play in a potential playoff rotation, maybe be backups or at least be 10th or 11th guys
0: for some of these playoff teams. I mean, Lawndale in, in particular is a walking trade exception. Like he is going to be uh, someone that is in danger of being cut every single year, except for this year. Right. Uh, he, he, because that's the way the rocket structure is contract KPJ too. It, it's it's See, like, one thing I appreciate that the Rockets have maintained in the transition from the front office from from the prior front office is, is their creativity with the, with this stuff, right? Their contracts are imminently tradable, imminently um, flexible, and are easy to package together with other contracts to formulate trade packages. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I I, I would agree. I, I think I think those are contracts that the Rockets really like. I, I mean, there's a reason that he was kept and, you know, KJ Martin wasn't right. Cause KJ Martin, let's be clear, was probably the better player, but they traded him because KJ Martin had value on that, on, on an expiring contract um, and up for contract next year. And KJ and Kevin Porter jr. Was more sizable, not Kevin Porter jr. Sorry, excuse me. Jay Sean Tate was more sizable and more long-term. And that's kind of why they chose that. And I, I think it was probably the right approach
1: one of the things that I'm really happy to see that you pretty much agree with me on is the Dylan Brooks contract. Just, I felt like there's just way too much overthinking by a lot of people with the Dylan Brooks contract, the the third and fourth year. Uh, You've said it, I've said it, when you look two years down the road, it's going to be a lot less in terms of the salary cap as the the cap goes up, the percentage-wise. And, you know, it's not like this guy is... I mean, we keep paying attention to ho- all of his off-court op- op- antics or, you know, some of the, what he says and all of that sort of stuff. He, he ended the year second-team all-NBA defense. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. I mean, I, I, I put a message to Sam Bassini, and he said, well, some of those numbers are overrated. You guys voted him second-team all-NBA defense. You know, so I don't know what to tell you, like, the guys out there that, that spent time to do this said second-team all-NBA defense. And if MBA Udoka can't get to this guy in the next year or two about his shot selection, then, you know, he, he's going to move himself into irrelevancy. And he knows if he wants to be a relevant player in the NBA, his shot selection's got to be better. And Udoka, he convinced a lot of Boston Celtics players— to, including Marcus Smart, to be a little bit smarter in shot selection. I don't know why people around the NBA can't give Udoka credit a guy that a year ago was coaching a finals team to maybe improve Dylan Brooks' shot selection. I know we think Memphis does everything right, but their team was a little bit out of control at times, You know, mostly off the court, but there was an out-of-control element to that. And Dylan, Dylan Brooks, I, I think, is still coachable. That guy spends four hours on film on a regular daily basis. He wants to win. He will listen. I, I think he will listen to Kochi.
0: Yeah, I like Dylan Brooks. Like I I think um you know it, it's it's strange. That they're like as as smart we've gotten so much smarter as NBA media, especially from when I was a fan like 15 years ago. Right? Like I, I the 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 analysis I was looking for was like crumbs, right? I was looking for anything that was smart. And we there's so much now that is smart. And it seems like as we've gotten smarter, there's just a lot more groupthink too. And that's the unfortunate thing, right? Like with 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 Dylan Brooks, after he said what he said about LeBron, which was dumb, but it's who cares. It's not a big deal. He's he's trash talking in the middle of a series. It's not like a like a, like like LeBron wasn't gonna try if he didn't say that. Like no, LeBron didn't turn anything on. LeBron was just LeBron, which which is like one of the three greatest players of all time. like he that's what he was doing. He was just being LeBron uh, for the rest of the series. and it felt like Dylan Brooks got blamed for for that loss, which was I mean, he didn't shoot the ball well, right that, that that was tough. and the shot selection was iffy. but you gotta you gotta understand with Brooks, first of all, Houston signed him to a declining contract, right? So it's gonna get better over time. Second of all, the cap is going to go up like 10% over time. So you're talking opposite directions for his contract. 10% like, a year, a year. Yeah, like it's going to go up like, you know, the the most it can go up, I I believe is 10%. But if it wasn't yeah. 10%, you could go up higher. I mean, it may, it may go up higher. They're doing cap smoothing for, finally for the next a few years. And I mean, this is going to take up right now. As of right now, uh, Brooks is going to be like 17, 18% of their salary cap. By the fourth year, you're talking 15%, 14% of the of the cap. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's like you're talking. That's what role players get paid. Role players get paid less than 20% of the cap. And he's going to be a starter, and he's going to be an awesome defender. And, I mean, if you look at what, what, what Udoka was able to do with, with Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart was taking 1.6 pull-up jumpers a game pre-Udoka, right? That's a lot for Marcus Smart. Uh, and Boston fans will tell you he took them in sometimes the worst possible situations, uh, so it felt like even more than 1.6 a game. And when Udoka came in, he, he that that dropped down to 0. 0.8. He halved his pull-up jumpers per game, and that's that that that's Udoka's style. He's a guy who will pull you to the side, tell you what you're great at, tell you what you're not good at. And I think Dylan Brooks probably understands like. If it wasn't for Houston, I was not going to have much of a market out there. I was looking at twelve million dollars a year, signing somewhere on the mid-level exception. And you know, this he, he he managed to get what is for him a fair market deal, but he got way above a market deal. And I think he probably understands, like, I can't I can't be like taking four pull-up jumpers a game. Like that that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it here. We have Jalen Green. You have Aman Thompson, you have Jabari Smith, you have Alperen Sengun, you have guys who are much better shot creators than me. So I have to cool it with that. And in in a in a specialized role, there's no reason this guy can't be an effective player. There's there's just no reason. Like and again, the contract you have to compare it to other wings in the NBA. He's getting paid pretty much aligned with the with what those guys are getting paid.
1: Uh, we forgot to mention, and it's the last thing I want to throw out there, Cam Whitmore's minutes. And how does he get minutes with with these guys? And one of the things has talked about, w- he's going to have a fair fight going into training camp. You said Ja'Sean Tate is going to get minutes. But if it's a fair fight between Jay Sean Tate and Cam Whitmore, yeah, Cam Whitmore, not as good as passer, not as maybe smart in some ways as... Uh, as Jay Sean Tate, you know, Cam's got some stuff to learn, but you, you put Cam Whitmore out there instead of Jay Sean Tate, and you got a guy that can put the ball in the basket a lot easier than Jay Sean. Jay Sean Tate's just not gonna uh give you as much space to work with with when he's out on the floor. Uh Jay Sean Tate's maybe um just not the athlete that that Cam Whitmore is. Is is there a scenario that Cam Whitmore can get minutes?
0: There is. Um I would bet against it uh, just because there is a lot weighing against him. Like that is a, uh, he's playing at a, at a position of strength for the Rockets, right? Like I'm not saying this is going to be a 50 win team next year, but this is going to be a team that's much improved in large part because of their depth, especially at the wing position. And I think um, he's going to have a tough battle. I mean, it's not, it's not just the fact that he has to outplay Jay Sean. He has to outplay Jay Sean. And he has to outrank Jay Sean in the locker room, which is going to be tough. Jay Sean carries a like a, a pretty loud voice in that locker room. Um, he he is a leader for that team, and I think, especially when you weigh in when when you when you put into uh, when you weigh his contract, Jay Sean's contract, and the fact that Houston might want to showcase him a little bit, there might be some front office politicking going on in, t- in terms of Jay Sean probably should play uh, for for at least the first half of the season. Uh, before the trade deadline so we can get as much value as we can for him, right? If Jay you know, gets traded, which I would suspect um, two months in the season, we're going to be talking a lot more about that, uh, about Shawn as a possible trade candidate, just because like, after Eric Gordon, he was always the guy to talk about next. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's an avenue for him. if he, If he outplays him to such an extent to where it's undeniable, like I remember Josh Christopher made himself undeniable his rookie year. Right, he he forced his way into the rotation, even though it didn't feel like there was any ch- way he would get it right. But he, he found a way. By the end of the, the season, he was playing rotation minutes. So maybe by the end of this season, Cam Whitmore is a rotation player.
1: One thing us fans always forget, though, there's always injuries. There are always injuries in the NBA. Yeah. Guys are getting uh, you know days off to you know for managing uh, their whatever. And we saw that a lot last year. I don't know. We, we don't have the Eric Gordon's that's going to have the automatic days off these days with back, back to backs. But um, yeah, I, I just, I I'm sure Cam Whitmore is going to get his chance at some point. And unless Jeff green, unless Jeff greens in front of him or something like that.
0: Hey, hey, listen, if, if someone like Jabari goes down for an extended stretch, which knock on wood, I'm sure you don't want that. I don't want that. Um, I I I I think there's obviously there's going to be a pathway for him to get minutes in that in that kind of a circumstance. Um, I'm just saying in general, if things go as planned, right? Which maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't say something like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if things go as planned, I I I don't see it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You're right. C- certainly, there stuff happens, and in those circumstances, he could play. Um, I but I I'm just generally unbothered by taking a slow approach with both both Amen and Cam frankly. I, I i think uh the Rockets have afforded themselves some some runway by uh what they did in free agency by signing Brad Van Vliet, by signing Dylan Brooks. They don't have to rush these guys, right? I think that I think that's kind of the point of making signings like that. It's nice to actually
1: do what good teams do. Yeah. And they bring in rookies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how long have you been doing Red Nation Hoops? We're we're about to hit ten years in a couple of months, and I know you're not that far behind me. You've been doing this for a few years now, right?
0: Nine years. Uh, n- nine years. Uh, I think the podcast started in 2015. Yeah, that's uh,
1: nine nine and ten years these days in podcasting is pretty good.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, listen, I I enjoy it. Uh, it's it's I mostly do. it you know, for the fun. I mean, like to, to be honest, like it's, it's not something I've ever thought to monetize. Like it, I I've had opportunities. I just don't think it's, you know, worth my time.
1: Well, great job with all of that stuff. And I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on our show and, and we look forward to the rocket season and hopefully you and I can catch up again in the next couple months.
0: Hey, uh, I really appreciate you having me on and congratulations on upcoming 10 years. I mean, that's, that's, again, you you said it to me, I'm going to say it to you. It's a big deal. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
1: Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.